All right. Praise the Lord. I have enjoyed being with you all. Uh, enjoyed the service so much this morning. We, we attend weekend gatherings. We're, we're, we're Christian people, so we go to church. Um, we haven't stopped just because we're not pastoring, but um, uh, it just, it's good. You know, it's just good to be with like-minded folks. You know, I'm, I'm sure you've been in church services where you enjoyed it, but it just wasn't quite the same. It felt good to be here this morning. Appreciate Pastor and, and Sister Kay and all of our friends here. I don't know whose spot I took tonight from the, the other brethren. I'm sorry. It was not my intention, um, but uh, uh, I, I'm honored to be able to speak with you tonight. And uh, it's good to not be in California, isn't it? Amen. We had some good times in California, though. God's good. God's good, wherever we are. Amen. Uh, grab your Bibles, if you would, and, and kind of keep them open. This is going to be an interesting message. If it's not good, don't remember it. Um, uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, it was, it was interesting. The Lord laid something on my heart here a little while ago. And, you know, we're not pastoring right now, so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. So I'd preach it to my wife and to my kids and to my dogs. And uh, so... Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes here. Um, we're actually going to be in Matthew chapter 24. And no, we're not doing an eschological, es- that one. We're not doing an end time study, right? Uh, but there's something interesting that I saw in here as I was reading it the other day. And I thought, wow, so I'm going to jump off of this. This isn't going to be like a deep uh, exegesis of this. We're not going to try to pull something deep out of here. I just kind of want to take a topic that I, that I think is interesting here, and um, and we'll go with this. And then, if you want to get ahead of kind of where I'm going to be tonight, I'm going to start here, and uh, we're going to then head over, and we're going to be in Colossians one, Colossians three, and Ephesians four. Not all of it, but um, we're going to highlight some of those. So if you want to kind of keep a finger there, it's kind of and this is not going to be one of those messages. If you've been in church, they used to say. Uh, I went to college, and A.R. Trotter was one of my favorite preachers there, and he said, today we're going from Dan to Beersheba and back by way of Kadesh Barnea, which meant the entire land uh, that the children of Israel lived in. That's not what our intent is uh, tonight to cover it all, but I did want to look at some. So in Matthew chapter 24 uh, and, and, and verse 23, I don't know if, uh, I don't know, Rod, Pastor Rodney, I don't know if you're here yet, but I have these or have become a, yeah, okay, all right, son. Uh, Uh, Verse 23, Uh, if you're there, say amen. All right, let's take a look at this. And and I've got uh, the the translation I have with me is the Common English Bible. It might be a little different than yours, but forgive me. It's just the Bible that I brought with me uh, this trip. Um, But I don't think it changes too much um, from what you might be reading, unless you're reading the Message Bible, then it probably is quite a bit different. But um, Matthew 24, verse 23 uh, and Jesus is speaking here, and he says, then, then if somebody says to you, look, here's the Christ, or he's over here, don't believe it. False Christ and false prophets will appear, not might, will appear, and they will offer great signs and wonders in order to deceive, if possible, even those whom God has chosen, or God's elect. Verse 25, look, I've told you ahead of time, so if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. And if they say, look, he's in the rooms deep inside the house, don't believe it. Just as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you so much in Jesus' name for all that you do in our hearts and in our lives. We love you deeply. We honor you with everything we have. God, this is your word. We're your people. 
God, minister to us tonight of the things of heaven, the things that you have for us. Challenge us, transform us, God. Enrich us with your goodness, God. And we love you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone says, amen. So it's an interesting passage here, and I know this is kind of an end time thing, and, and, but I think it's relevant to, to, to what God is speaking to us in, in, in our generation. Let me just take you back a little bit. I'm dating myself a little bit, but ha, most of you know, How many remember 1980? How many were not alive in 19... Okay. Um, in 1980, a unique thing happened. This is not very, not very godly or spiritual, but it nevertheless was true. It was the, the first time in my life that I remember owning my own cassette tape music. It, you know, that was... Somebody had gotten it for me. I was eight years old at the time, I think, if I'm doing the math, right around there. And uh, I absolutely loved it. It was Johnny Lee. Does anybody remember Johnny Lee? No one? No one remembers Johnny Lee? All right. You and me, brother. And there was a song on that, on that cassette that was called Looking for Love. And it ended up being a number one song. Um, and... Uh, the song, the chorus went something like, I'm not going to sing it, but looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces and, you know, all those other things. And, and uh, at eight years old, I had no idea what they were singing about, but I loved it nonetheless. Um, and uh, truth be known, it's still one of my favorite songs. I'll be driving down the road and dial that up on my phone and be like, yep, that's good. Uh, back when country music was worth listening to. Um, but I think sometimes, especially in the world we live in today, people are looking for Jesus, but often looking in all the wrong places. Um, and unfortunately, it, it's kind of like Bigfoot and UFOs. Kind of. If, if you keep looking, eventually you think you find it, right? There used to be a show that we would watch on television that we loved. I'm a geek for things like that. I don't know why. No, I don't believe in Bigfoot. No, I don't believe in UFOs. But I love watching the shows anyway. It's, it's great fiction. Uh, similar to a lot of television, Christian television. Great fiction. Um, but uh, there's a show called Finding Bigfoot. I think it went nine seasons. Wrap your head around this. Finding Bigfoot, nine seasons. They never found him. It's the, it's the most inaptly named show ever, Right? Nine seasons of not finding Bigfoot would have been ever. But it was, I was always amazed at every crack in the woods. Did you hear that? And the guy's name on there, we should have known then, his last name was Moneymaker. And I'll never forget, we're sitting there watching it one night, and a crack in the woods, he goes, you hear that? That's three Bigfoots. A, a father and maybe two children. I'm like, that is amazing. One sound in the woods, and you know, and, and it's just, and they saw Bigfoot everywhere. I think it, it, the world we live in, in a spiritual sense, People are thinking that they're finding Jesus. And if we're not careful, we look and then we substitute something that is not him for something that it isn't him, but we call it him. I think that's what Jesus was saying and warning us in Matthew chapter 24, that people are looking and they're saying this is Jesus, but it's not Jesus. But because we're, what, for whatever reason, I don't know why we get there, but people get there and then they call it Jesus. Right, And so we see that today, a lot of things that, that people are calling Jesus in art. And so I'm going to kind of take a weird look at this tonight, if I can. Um, and, and I want to, it's a weird structural sermon for me. So let me just kind of break it down. I'm going to, first of all, I want to talk about some places 
that we think we find Jesus, but that's not where we're supposed to be looking. Then I want to talk about where we're going to find Jesus, I think. And we'll try to cover this pretty quickly. But So, so hang on with me. Um, where we shouldn't be looking for Jesus, that people are often looking for him. Uh, I'll tell you, let's just see how it goes. Um, the first place that I think people look for Jesus and they think they find him, but it's actually not Jesus, is in religion. And, and I don't just mean Catholicism. I don't just mean that. I mean in every form of man-made religion, whether it be named Pentecostal, assembly, whatever we want to take, independent, non-denominational, all of these man-made structures of what God is supposed to be. People are looking to religion to find Jesus. And that is never where we are supposed to look for Jesus. Listen, Jesus did not die on the cross to start a new religion. Technically, he died on the cross to end a religion. And yet people are constantly gravitating. And you, you folks live in the Bible Belt. One of the things that we found in living in Tennessee, we were driving down the road. I said, there is a, there is a Baptist church on every corner. And my son said, and three in between. <laughs> and, and what we found is, is that people are looking for Jesus through a structure or a system that, that they end up saying, this is Jesus. And, and they're satisfied with that. Countless, maybe millions, I don't know what the number would be. People that are attending churches throughout America, possibly throughout the world, I don't know, not outside of America very often, but they're actually not finding Jesus, but they're calling it Jesus. They have religion, they have expression, they have a form of godliness, but there's no power because there's only power in the person of Jesus. Pastor did such a good job of preaching that to us this morning. If we're not on the rock, I don't know what you get, but it isn't Jesus. It's not Jesus. So we don't find, now let me just dive a little deeper into, into religion. Because within religion, some people think they're going to find Jesus through learning. And so, don't get me wrong, we're supposed to study the word. But people think, the Pharisees, Jesus said, you've studied the word, but you've not found me. There are countless people in universities and in our Christian educational systems. They know backwards and forwards the Bible, historical. They know the, the, the original language, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, the Aramaic. They know all of these things, and they've dug down deep, and they're saying, I'm looking, and guess they're finding something, but they're not finding Jesus. It is possible for you to know everything about him and not know him. It is possible, and there are people that have that today. Often we think because we know stuff about him that we have found him, but we've not found him. I attended Bible school. Uh, one of the, the gentlemen that was at Bible college was the Assemblies of God National Bible Quizzing Champion, and that's Bible quizzing is where they go. They have competitions, and who can quote verses? They give part of a verse, and you finish the verse, and this guy had memorized almost the entire New Testament verbatim. We would go, and we would ask him, what's, you know, uh, Ephesians 4, 13, boom, boom, he could just pump that out. Amazing mind. Had absolutely no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. No relationship with Jesus. And, 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 and would let us know he had no relationship with Jesus. I was astounded that you could know so much about him and not yet know him. People think that they can find him in a book. But this book, in this Bible, and we cherish it, we love it, we believe it's sacred, we believe it's, we believe it's the eternal word of God. Isn't it amazing you can have this and still not know him? So we think sometimes that education, let me hurry through this. 
If it's not education, then we go the other route, and then we think it's all the emotion, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the manifestation of God's glory, and we think oftentimes that that's Jesus. And so we get looking for that. And then that becomes, I can remember growing up in church, if we didn't have a slobber knocker of a service, I mean the snot flying, the sweat dripping, and people hopping, skipping, dancing, jumping, and running, it wasn't a good service. It didn't matter that there was no preaching of the word, there was no glorifying of God, but man, we had church, right? I didn't even know what that meant. Oftentimes we think that Jesus is the signs, wonders, miracles, and manifestations. And so we have people saying that. I find it interesting in Matthew 24 that Jesus actually named that and said those aren't the things that you should be looking for. We could make maybe some theological arguments here, but I, I, my Bible said that the signs and wonders were supposed to follow us, not us follow them. And yet countless times we have revival, and I'll get to that one in a second, but we have revival, and revival's breaking out here. It's in Toronto, it's in Florida, it's in Arizona. Somebody was, I was listening to something today, there's apparently one in Kentucky or something that's going on. And so people are going all around the world thinking that that is Jesus, and they're looking for Jesus, and they're hungry, and they go to these things. And often because they think, and they're looking, and they want Jesus so bad, they find something, it's not Jesus, but they call it Jesus. Saying that Jesus doesn't do signs, wonders, miracles, and manifestations, he does. But that's not what we're looking for. And those are not indicators that that is him. I remember I was, uh, I was in high school. I was working at a, at a summer Christian camp. And I was working in the kitchen there. It was an interesting thing. I've never experienced this before. I didn't know that much about Mormonism. But there was a Mormon group that was in our upper area. And I went up there. I was working in the little kitchen there and serving the dinner and, and, and doing the dishes. And the, the, they had a circle of, of, of young people that were there. And they had like a, a staff of something. I don't know. Maybe if you're Mormon, you know more about this than me. Hopefully you're not Mormon. Um, but, um, and they would go, and they would point the staff and touch it on people, and they would fall. And they would start almost like a speaking in tongues thing. These were not Christian people. They were Mormons. And they would talk about the warmth glow of God and all of these things coming on people. And I was like, this almost seems like my youth camps, minus the staff. Um, and it was weird to me, and yet there was no... There was plenty of activity, but it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Jesus. Let's keep going. You don't find him in religion. Another thing. Please don't get me wrong. Enjoy this. But we also don't find him in worship. I don't mean true worship. I mean what we call worship in church today. The emotion, the sensation, the feelings of all of these things. Oftentimes we go and we think because there's a transcendent feel or an emotional response inside of us. Listen, I'm emotional about a lot of things that are not Jesus. A lot of things. Right? I mean, I can be driving down the road. George Strait comes on. I was eating bread. We're from, I'm from Tennessee now. I just introduced myself. They say, where are you from? Tennessee. You can't say California. It causes issues. But... Um, I was eating breakfast the other morning, and there was an older gentleman. He's probably, uh, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s, still fairly young. The older I get, the younger that seems. Um, and uh, he was sitting there. He was talking to another guy, and they just had a, a Bristol Speedway. is right just maybe 15 minutes from my house, and they did a big concert there. And in, in, in Tennessee, Morgan Wallen is the dude. I'm just East Tennessee, Morgan, and most of you don't know who Morgan Wallen is, but uh, he's the dude. He's a country-western singer. And... Uh, I like him because cancel culture tried to cancel him, and instead he had the best-selling country album in like 50 years. So I like any time that that goes that way, right? Um, and uh, the old guy was sitting there, and he had taken his granddaughter to the concert. 
And uh, he said, he said, let me tell you, he said, Morgan Wallen got up and sang the national anthem. He said, I'm telling you, that's as close to heaven as we're going to get down here below. <laughs> he was very emotional about, listen, I, lo- I, I cry almost every time the national anthem's sung. I, I love it. Touches my heart in a unique way. And it's emo- but it's not Jesus. It's not, it's not Jesus. Just because we're raising our hands, just because we're feeling something does not mean we're finding Jesus. Is that thing, can it be beneficial? Yes, those things can be beneficial. But in and of themselves, they are not Jesus. Yet our churches today, many of our churches are full of that. And that equates to, wow, God is here. He's in the midst of his people because we feel it. When the, the truth is, is that feelings should have nothing to do with it. Often modern worship is nothing more than a pull on our emotions with an expectation that we will always have that. And so we're trying to get, and the problem with emotions are, if you understand the way emotions work, the same thing often gives diminishing returns. So what happens one day, you're expecting the same thing the next time, but it's less because you're used to it. You've got, and so the emotional, and so you've got to keep upping the ante, right? You've got to keep doing it. It's almost like a drug. It's an emotional connection, but it's not Jesus. I've got to hurry or we're not going to finish. Are you still with me? We're still under religion. We're looking for him. Not in worship. Let me just say this to you. We don't find Jesus in ministry, in calling, in what we would call anointing or feelings. The church is sick today of individualistic destiny and purpose and calling and gifting. The big thing, I don't know if you know, the big thing now is to have these three, four days trainings where they will teach you how to walk in your gift in your calling, in your destiny, and learn how to function in the prophetic, and learn how to function in all of these weird other things. That is not Jesus. It's not Jesus. And then we take gifts and testings and try to find out what our gifting and te- what a bunch of nonsense, right? And all of it is this thing. And, and it, we live in, in a generation that is a me-centered gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus, but it's all about you. And then we bring people up in the front and we lay empty hands on empty heads to tell people their little horoscope, right? You're going to be an Australian baseball player. You're going to speak to kings. We've been in that. I mean, remember the old days of the Pentecost Church of God when they would come and everybody would get a prophecy over. And I was amazed if you had a $20 bill waved in your hand, you'd get a really good prophecy. It's unique how that happened. We don't find Jesus in a ministry or a calling. Or an, and people are always doing, well, this ministry and this calling and this feeling. and it, it, It's just not Jesus. Does that make sense? We don't find Jesus in revival, renewal, or restoration. And yet we're constantly told that that's what we need. We, oh, this country, we need revival. We need restoration. I don't know what that even means, but I know that that becomes kind of the overarching. When I was a kid, that's what we were all praying for. Revival, revival, revival. Restoration. God's going to revive. And most of the time what that meant was, in our mind, that God was going to prove we were right and everybody else was wrong. Right? He's going to endorse everything we've been saying, everything we've been doing, and revival's going to come through that. And so today, people drive all over the country to every whatever town, whatever church, whatever new thing is happening... And they say, that's Jesus. Oftentimes, we'll get into services and, and you know, uh, people will emotionally, preachers will try to emotionally say, oh, I just feel like God's going to do something special tonight. God's getting ready. And then you got to, mm-hmm, you know, that makes it better. 
God's going to do, I just know God's going to do something. I'm telling you, we're at a moment of destiny. Come on, you can feel it now, right? In a moment of destiny, God's getting ready to unlock the prophetic in our lives tonight. Can I just give you a reality about revival restoration? God is doing what he has always been doing, what he will always be doing. There is nothing new to chase after. There is nothing new to find. And when we look for Jesus in those things, we will find something, but it will not be Jesus. It'll be something else. And what that something else is scares me to my core for many people. Because I believe there are precious good people that are being deceived. Jesus himself said that these things could deceive even the elect, even the chosen. These aren't, we, we look and these, sometimes we think these are bad people. Chris and I were just talking all the way here. I'm amazed at, at the idiocy of Christian people today that we're so duped into so much stupidity. And, and these are intelligent people that fall for some of this stuff. And I don't understand how it happens. But I know that we get so looking for something but it's not Jesus. All right, second point. That's all religion. I'm, I'm hurrying, I promise. I can give you an update on the game if you need it. But no, um, we don't find him in religion. We also don't, oh, might need a shield. Somebody, several of you have guns. I'm a little nervous. We also don't find Jesus in government. Interestingly enough, Jesus did not die on the cross so we could have America. Jesus is not interesting in propping up any governmental system other than the one governmental system that he said he was invested in, and that was his kingdom. His kingdom. We don't find Jesus in social justice, and yet many churches today are so captivated by social justice. We've got to go champion the cause for the poor. We've got to go champion the cause. I'm not saying that that's not important. Those things are, but that's not Jesus. Just going out and doing it's not a substitute for the, the, the face of Christ, the person of Jesus in our lives. And yet there's some people that because they feel like they've done and they've given and I help the poor and I do this and I give money to all these things that that is Jesus. And we've even heard for that that's they're doing God's work. We heard that all the time. I, I work for years and years now. I've worked for an organization that helps people with disabilities find jobs. And somebody came to me the other day and said, I love what you guys do. That is God's work. It's not God's work. Right? It's good work. But it's not God's work. Just because I help somebody that, you know, get a job, that doesn't mean anything. It's not God's work, and I'm glad to do it, and I'm sure they're happy. But social justice is not where we find Jesus. And yet, that is becoming a predominant thing in the church to separate all the spirituality and just make this thing a zero-sum game of doing good works. Doing good works. That's not where we find Jesus either. Jesus himself said, you're always going to have the poor with you. Always. We don't find Jesus in laws. I think sometimes, especially the nationalistic church, and some of us that are more on the conservative side, amen, sometimes we, I don't want to, I know you guys love, a lot of Trumpers here. Not trying, not, trying, not trying to offend anybody. Hear me on this. What a dupe we fell for by thinking that whether Trump would get elected or not, it would have any outcome on the kingdom of God. And I want to speak clearly. We look the other way on issues that we never should have looked the way uh, the other way on. Does he share a lot of some values that I have in conservatism? Yes. Yes, he does. But he's an immoral man that is stuck on himself and probably truly believes that he is a God himself. Ah, listen, I'd still rather have that guy than the guy we got now. Right? At least he could string sentences together. Uh, 
But the reality is, is we had an entire nation of lying prophets that put all the eggs in the basket of Trump. And they were so far into this that they were prophesying things that they wanted to happen. But guess what? It didn't happen. And I got news for you. Whether we like it or not, God knew that's what would happen. Sometimes I think we, we, we don't get what we want, but we get what we deserve. Oh, don't shout me down. Passing laws does not bring Jesus. The problem with government, every human government is corrupt and it will always falter. You can put the best of the best of the best people involved in those things and eventually it will fall. America is not great because of the Constitution. America is not great because of red or blue. America was great for one reason and that was it was a nation of freedom. Freedom is what made this nation great. The freedom to choose Jesus. The freedom to find Jesus for who he was and it's the thing that will always make any nation great when we have the freedom to find Jesus for who he is. Amen? So we don't find him in laws. No matter what, listen, I vote, I go, I wear my stickers, and I go and I proudly do it, and you should too. And if you don't vote, quit complaining. But know this, no law that we ever pass, no election that we ever hold will ever be where we find Jesus. Will not usher in a great last day's revival. It just won't. It's, Jesus is not found in the blue. Jesus is not found in the red or the yellow or the pink or the rainbow. Jesus is light, apart from any color, right? So we don't find him in all those things. Let me just go a little bit further here, just a little bit further. This, now we're going to get into some good stuff. <laughs> Way too many Christians are looking for Jesus in heaven. Now, as a kid, that's all we ever thought about. Couldn't wait to get to heaven, right? We sing that song, hey, everybody will be happy over there. We're going to be happy here. We're going to be happy when we're over there. Constantly waiting for, the, waiting for the great next step. Listen, the older I get, the more excited I am about heaven. Right? I just am. I know I'm not going to live forever. Wish I would, but I'm not. I've been trying that cachava stuff, but they say I read a commercial. I saw a commercial that said, if you want to be healthy, you've got to try cachava. I've been trying it for $150 a month, and I still don't feel any healthier. Too many people are looking to find Jesus in heaven, some existence apart from where they are today. Our hope is somewhere else. Our hope is somewhere down the line. You're going to live 70, 80, 90, 100 years life, but you're never going to find him here. You're going to have to wait to find him somewhere else. Just can't wait to get to heaven to where I can finally find Jesus. Can I just tell you, you will have wasted your life if you're only waiting to find him when you get somewhere else. We don't find Jesus in heaven. And then let me just throw this, and I know this, I might be a little over the top on this, and I'm going to transition, I promise. Way too many people are looking for Jesus on the clouds. He's coming back, and we're looking for him there. We're looking for him, oh, that he would come back. That's what I grew up with. Oh, that he would come and get us out of this old sin-sick world. Right? I mean, who cares about all the broken people that don't know him? Who cares about our loved ones that haven't heard who cares about all those people? We just need him to come right now. Get us out of this mess. I've made so much debt, I can't wait for him to come. Get me off the hook. Right? Okay, let's transition. We've had fun talking about where people look for him, and, and you'll never find him in those things, I promise you. If that's where you're look, you, you might find a reasonable facsimile, but you will not find him. So where do we look for him? This is what I want to talk about. Now we're starting to preach. I'm just kidding. I'm almost done. Let me just cover this a little bit. And then we're going to get into some extra scriptures. I promise you we would. 
let me start by saying this. This is the transition point into where we look for him. I truly believe this with all of my heart, that we will actually never find Jesus apart from surrender. It's interesting, and I wish this wasn't true. It's an inconvenient truth, Pastor Rodney. <laughs> that we love to, to find Jesus as an additive to all the things in our life. That's the modern gospel. Do whatever you want to do and just add Jesus. Just throw him in there. Make all your money, have all your boats, your cars, your houses, all the things you want to have, and add Jesus into it, right? That's what we've had. Apart from surrender and sacrifice, you and I will never truly find who Jesus wants to be in our lives. I want to look, if you flip over to Colossians real quick. What does it mean when, when I say surrender and sacrifice? I'm not going to take too much time on this, but uh, I just really encourage you. I, I was telling Pastor this morning, he was talking about, you know, that his pages in Matthew were not stuck together. My pages in Colossians and Ephesians are not stuck together. I have been, I love, Colossians and Ephesians are unique books because they give us insight into Christ pre-Genesis 1. We get to see insight in who Christ has always been. What the goal of Christ has always been. You know, we, sometimes we think, I think we preach in such a way that we think that, that Jesus and, and the cross and all of these things were like the backup plan. <laughs> the backup plan, right? Everything he tried just wasn't working. And so he finally figured out something that worked. That's not how it, it was always in the mind of Christ to do what he did always. The, the moment we're in right now in 2023 was always in the mind of Christ. I, I don't know about you, that just excites me. That excites me. It lets me know he's sovereign. He, he's not playing catch-up. He's not trying to come from behind. He's not been taken by surprise. You and I were always in the heart of God to be adopted as his children, to be grafted in, to be redeemed, to be brought back, to be his precious possession. I love that so much. Colossians 3. When we talk about surrender and sacrifice, I'm not talking about you just being broken. We're just suffering for the cause of Christ. Most people, what they call suffering for Christ is their own stupidity, Right? Listen, and I'm there, so I can preach this. Some of my suffering has had nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with the person of Jesus. It had more to do with that I was not good with money and not making good choices, (laughs) right? Oh, don't shout me down. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about surrender and sacrifice. Some people think that, oh, that God has just called me to sacrificial living, and I'm just, you know, I'm not, my credit score is 580, and that's just my sacrifice. No, that's not your sacrifice. That's you not having a budget and having access to credit cards and not paying them on time. Um, it got quiet here. Is that, do we need a credit counseling group? Credit counseling life group? I'm just kidding. Colossians 3. Listen, this is, this is what is characterized. I want to get in, into this just a little bit. I'm going to read some scripture and I'm going to stop. But um, Chapter 3, verse 1, I'm still in this common English Bible. Listen to what it says. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for them. We're talking about looking for Jesus. Look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at, the right, at God's right side, the authority. The, the authority, right side is always authority, power, right? We understand that. Um, think about these things above and not the things on earth. Now, here's your sacrifice. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. And that's an interesting thing. Here's the truth of the matter is. We're going to edge into this. We're still on this sacrifice, surrender thing. 
you probably know this, but I didn't. Maybe I did, but I'm learning something here. I'm not ever going to get a full revelation of who Jesus is until I have surrendered my life in such a way that he can come into my life to reveal who he is, and then I can figure out who I am. All of this identity stuff that we hear in the body of Christ is weird today. All of this, trying to figure out your identity. And now, you know, the, we don't even know which bathroom she's. We don't even know which gender we are, for crying out loud now. But all of these things, the problem is, is that we're seeking for substance and seeking for meaning apart from surrender and sacrifice. And can, let me just say it like this. Let me say it like this. The, the space that Jesus will occupy in your life will always be the area that you have sacrificed and surrendered to him. Jesus is not going to be an additive to your life. He's not going to occupy spaces with other things. We think we, we, oh, I found Jesus and I've added him to our life. Jesus doesn't hang out in your heart with the other areas that are unsurrendered. We, we say they do. Well, you just need to surrender your whole heart to Christ. Well, Jesus wants your whole heart all the time, right? It's funny to think that we would, that we would think at some point that Jesus would, would just, you know, share all of our other opinions and ideologies and issues and those things. When Jesus comes, Jesus doesn't come into our lives to share. He comes into our lives to take over. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, we used to say when we were younger He's Lord of all or He's not Lord at all There's not a thing of partial surrender Right Well I'm just warring with Jesus No you're not you're, you're winning and that's a sad thing Because Jesus is not going to war with you He's going to say well I'm just going then When you're ready I'll come back Right Keep reminding you So Jesus is going to occupy This is the problem that the modern church has today Is they want to keep everything in their heart all their opinions, all their thinking, all their me, 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 my, 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 and somehow think that Jesus is going to share all of that. And that's why we're mixed up. It's why we don't know who we are. It's why the church doesn't know who she is. doesn't know anything because our identity is revealed apart from an empty space that Jesus comes to truly know him. It's just the way it works. I was praying the other day, and I felt like God spoke to me. I'm not saying I heard an audible voice from heaven. Um, that's not usually how it works. And if it does, it is funny. All these modern people are always hearing God all the time. It's like an ongoing conversation. Ongoing conversation. It's interesting. Well, God was just telling me the other day. It's like, man, that has never happened to me. Um, I, feel like, I, I feel like every time God speaks audibly, it's usually not a good moment. <laughs> right? It's, it's usually not a good sign. It's, it's not, you know, God coming down and saying, you are amazing. It's usually God coming down and saying, you're in trouble, right? And I, I, that, I, it was, I somebody said the other day, I just so want to hear the audible voice of God. I'm like, I'm not sure I do. I, 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 you know, it's like, you know, when you're a kid and your dad knocks on the door, we need to talk. You're like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. Nothing to do with the message tonight, but I like a good humor story. Pastor, we were talking a little bit this afternoon. I don't know how we got into talking about this, but there was the, the old Christian rock band Striper. Anybody remember Striper back in the day? Where we all thought it was great because now we had Christian heavy metal. Um, I, 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 had, I loved Bon Jovi and all these rock bands in the 80s, and when I, when I became a Christian, I got rid of all that stuff, but then I substituted it with what they said was, was Christ, but it actually wasn't Christ at all. But I had a picture of Striper, uh, the band, on the back of my door. 
in my room. And my dad came in one time, the door, you know, the, he closed the door behind me. He was talking to me. He turned around. He said, what is this? What is this? I said, uh, he said, I will not have any person living in this house with pictures of half-naked women on their walls. I was stunned. He walked out. So I went in front of him. I go, those are guys, Dad. Those are guys. And my dad in true form stopped, and he goes, well, I won't have any son of mine with half-naked pictures of men either. So the other day, I, God was speaking to my heart, and I heard something really clearly in my heart to me. And he said, I move at the speed of your surrender. I move at the speed of your surrender. You know, we think sometimes it's going to take a long time to really get this Jesus person in our lives, and it doesn't take a long time at all. It doesn't need to take you a long time. You don't have to spend your whole entire life trying to find Jesus. It's not going to be, well, finally, I'm 80 years old, and I finally figured this thing out, now it's, now it's too late. I have nothing to give. Young person, can I tell you this? Right now, right now, you can find the fullness of Jesus in your life. You don't have to wait to get some weird maturity, and I'm not downplaying that, but I'm telling you this, if we can surrender enough of our hearts and yield all of the garbage of this world, Jesus will come and dwell within our hearts and manifest His fullness in you and me today. I feel like sometimes we're trying to convince Jesus that he needs to show us his heart and his face. And he's already wanting to do that. It's already, and we pray these prayers, God, if it be your will, come into my life. It is his will. There you go. I can tell you the will of God for your life. It's for Jesus to be fully functional in your life. Right now, and he moves at the speed of surrender. It moves at the speed of surrender. You don't have to wait your whole lives. In fact, it, the, the longer we wait, it seems the more junk we get and the more calloused our hearts get and the harder it is to pull those sacrifice things out of our lives. They just get deep into us. Don't wait until you're so jaded and burnt and that things, those things of this world have gripped your heart. Surrender now. So where do we find Jesus? Let me get, let me, let me get back to this spot. Where were we at here? Verse, verse 5. Are we good on time? I don't know. Okay. Listen, verse 5, are you with me? Here, here's the sacrifice and surrender. What is Jesus asking us to surrender so that he can occupy the place in our heart that he wants to? So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth. Here we go. Such as sexual immorality. Pause for effect. I found it interesting to note that almost every time the New Testament writers talk about sin, they almost always start with sexual immorality. It's almost always the first one mentioned. Must be important. Um, we'll move on. Sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. And you used to live that way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge. Here we go. By conforming to the image of the one who created it. Mm, isn't that? The sacrifice of our life is not, well, we sure got it tough down here below. No, the sacrifice and surrender is for us to remove all of the things of this world from our heart. When you get those things out, there's room for Jesus to occupy the space in our hearts. So where do we find Jesus? 
We find him in the place of surrender. More importantly, if we articulate this a little bit more, we find, and I, this is, feels like a revelation. Maybe it's not, but it, it felt like it was to me. You look for Jesus in all these religion, worship, signs, wonders, preaching, teaching, all these things. Oh, that's Jesus. A new translation of the Bible. I found him. It's so great. It's great. Got it. Got it. Got it. The only place that I actually can find in the New Testament, the understanding of where Jesus manifests himself in us is in us. Is in us. We are so fixated on the external in the world today. The manifestations that are happening out here. Things that happen around us and things that happen to us. And we never think about what should be happening in us. Colossians chapter 1. Just flip over there real quick. Just a, a couple of pages over. Listen to what, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. About verse, uh, uh, I guess, ver, verse, let's read verse 25 too. Paul writing says, I became, a servant of the church, uh, I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given to me for you in order to complete God's word. I'm completing it with a secret plan or the mystery of the ages, some translations say, that has been hidden for ages and generations. The secret plan, one, one, tra- one, one place says that was from the beginning of time, God's plan which has now been revealed to his holy people, God wanted to make this glorious rich, God wanted to make the glorious riches of this secret plan or the mystery of the ages known among the Gentiles, which is, here's the secret of the ages, from the beginning of time, in the eons of time, this was God's plan. From the very beginning, not in, not in Matthew 1, not in Genesis 3, after they messed everything up. From the beginning of time, God's secret, mysterious plan was this. Christ living in you, the hope of glory. I I think the only place Christ really wants to dwell is in you and me. He doesn't want to be found in revival, renewal, worship, songs, all of these things, gifting, teaching, all those things. He wants to be found in you and in me. That is not only possible, it is not only plausible, it is the only place that Christ wants to dwell on this planet is in you and me. He does not, be, he does not dwell in buildings made with hands. He does not, can I add a little bit, I know maybe a little bit, but he does not dwell in services made by man. He does not dwell in doctrines made by man. He does not dwell in anything made by man. But what he does dwell in is mankind that was made in the image of God with a place in us that would only be filled by him throughout all of the ages what is Jesus looking for he's looking for you he's looking for me I don't know what that does for you but there's something about that that just tears open my heart that makes me say God if all is what you want then all is what I give because all I want is you all I want if you can dwell in this earthen vessel If you can take me with all the mess that I am, but for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but I know your word to be true, and throughout all the ages, all you've been looking for is to access my heart and to manifest yourself in me. The eternal purpose of God has always been for his people to bear his image. And you cannot bear his image without him being inside of you. Right? Let me me give you another verse, and I'll try to wrap this up. Are you still with me? And I know we say all these things, and it sounds good, it preaches good, but the reality is this is not just good theology, not just good teaching. It is the eternal truth of Christ. He is waiting to dwell powerfully in us, apart from feelings, apart from emotion. He wants to make his habitation 
within us. That blows my mind. I don't understand it, and I don't understand why. I don't understand. I read Genesis 1, and I say, why did you even make mankind? What, what, what's the purpose in all of this? We're a mess. We've been a mess from the beginning. We can't get anything right. If you want something to be messed up, let man touch it. We mess up everything. And yet somehow, in God's mercy and in his grace and the love that Jesus has for us, he always knew that this would happen, and yet he still wanted a people that he could call his own that would bear his image inside of us. It just makes me love him more. It just makes me want him more. It just makes me want to throw everything out of this world that has been a reasonable facsimile but has not been him and say, God, I just want you. I want you. I want you. I want you. Would you make my heart your home? Would you let me bear your image wherever I can? Would you let me be a light in darkness? Would you let me wherever I go be a fit habitation for the God of all the universe? I'm gonna, we're going to finish this up. There's another PowerPoint. I'm trying to hurry. I really am. 1 John 5, 12, one of, I think one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. This is how we know. That, that, and I want to just say, if Christ is not in you, then you do not have Christ. You, you simply do not. Whatever theology you have, once saved, always saved, once saved, kind of saved, maybe saved, or like me, saved 463 times every youth camp. Um, John, 1 John 5, I know just a little bit, uh, give you a quick translation of it, my own little thing. If you have Jesus in you, you have him. If he's not in you, you don't have him, right? It says this, he who has the son has life. Who doesn't have the son doesn't have life. If Christ isn't in you, you don't have him. You can have religion. You can have everything else. But if he is not in you, you have not found him. He has to be. The only way that he is found is in us. Let me say amen. Don't you just love the little Christmas nativity scene that's completely unbiblical? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Christmas anyway. Just not. Not a big fan. I like presents, but I don't necessarily love Christmas. Um, you get all these nativity scenes. And, and, oh, Jesus. Oh, in the manger, in the manger, in the manger. You're missing the whole point. He did not come to be a baby. He came to be in you. He came to be in us. All right, let's continue on. Let me wrap this up. One more point. Are you still with me? Jesus is, I wrote this down for myself. Jesus will never be found in the externals of your life. Not ever. Not ever, no, never. What I mean by that is I can you can get blown on, spit on, prayed on, pushed down, rolled around, you can speak in tongues, you can jump, you can hop, you can see angels, you can see manifestations, you can lay hands on the sick and they can recover and all of these things. And none of that is Jesus in and of itself. It is not. It is not. Not to say that he can't do those things. He can and he does sometimes, right? But it's not a sign of Jesus. I found out a long time ago, we used to think speaking in tongues. Well, you know, they got, they got the Lord. They, they, they can speak in tongues. Then I found out people were just making stuff up, right? Now I do it all the time. I tell my kids all the time. I make up languages all the time. It goes like this. I tell my daughter, who hates this. I go, did you know I can sing Jesus Take the Wheel in Spanish? She goes, no, you can't. I go, yes, I can. Listen, Jesus, take the wheel. She says, that, that is not singing in Spanish. It kind of is. Jesus. And then I found, I think, that, that hand is mano. Yeah, so I added mano. Take it from me, mano. We think because 
somebody does something and it must be Jesus. But you find people just make stuff up all the time, right? We used to do it when we were in college. We may not make it to heaven because of it, but we used to make up tongues all the time in college, right? You'd say things real fast. I'm pro- Pastor, I'm sorry if I'm out of line. We, we used to say, say stuff like, she lost the key to my Hyundai. Right? Anybody heard that? That doesn't sound like speaking in tongues. If you slur it quick, it does. She lost the key to my Hyundai. Not tongues. Not Jesus. External manifestation of me being stupid. And yet people fall for this stuff all the time. All the time. Not Jesus. How do we know it's not Jesus? Because it's an external. It's an external. We are so caught up in manifestations to prove that it's Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm not going to show you who I am by manifestation. I'm going to show you who I am by stepping into your heart and transforming your life. Jesus has never been about the external manifestation. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, every external manifestation that Jesus performs, the miracles that he did, was always a symbol of who he was eternally. Not what was always supposed to happen in our lives around us. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. But you can trace every miracle in the Bible to a character quality that was in the eternal Christ. That he would be the resurrection. He would be the, the hope for sick. and death. Do, we, do we believe in miracles? Yes, but guess what? Not everybody gets them. And I don't know why, but we still believe for them. But guess what? When they don't get them, it doesn't mean it wasn't Jesus. I buried my dad with Alzheimer's, and we buried my mother-in-law with cancer. Two of the most godly people I ever saw on the face of this earth. My mother-in-law died with small cell cancer in her lungs, never smoked a cigarette in a day of her life, gave her life to Jesus when she was eight years old, never turned her back on him, lived faithfully to him, and yet we buried her at a way too young age from cancer. Guess what? That had nothing to do with whether Jesus showed up or did not show up. I was there when she passed, and her hands were still glorifying God, and her confession was still strong because the Jesus that had entered her heart at eight years old had never left and was just as real and was just as true because it's never about external manifestations. It is about the internal transformation of Jesus becoming real in our hearts and us bearing the image of the eternal Christ in our hearts and in our lives. All right, let me finish this up. We're almost done. Sorry, the Eagles are probably winning. It's all right. I don't know that. Sorry. Some of you are like, I have money on the game. Shame on you. I have a friend of mine that's prophetic. He said, God showed me it was going to be the Eagles and the Chiefs. And I was like, do you know who's going to win? Because it's not gambling if I know. I'm just kidding. Some people are just stupid, aren't they? Christ is always working from the inside out, never the outside in. And yet, so much of the gospel we hear is always about the outside in and never about the inside out. Listen, if God gets your heart, eventually everything's going to work out. But if he doesn't get your heart, eventually nothing will work out. This is our hope. The hope of our hearts is that God will manifest himself in us, in our hearts and in our lives, and that we will have him and we will be his. The second part of this, and I'm trying to finish up with this, is is a unique thing. Because it's not just about us. Because individually, yes, it's great. God comes to us. But there's this other thing about finding Jesus that's really been something that I'm kind of digging into. I don't fully understand it all yet, but I'm loving it and I want more of it. And that is this, that we are, that, that there is a, a, a revealing of God, not just in our hearts, but there's something that God does collectively through what he calls his body. The ecclesia. 
Now, when, when we say ecclesia, that doesn't mean the entire, what we would call the church, not the ecumenical church, right? In, in the New Testament, when they say church, they're actually very, I think one or two references in a global sense, they're always talking about a local assembly of God's people. So even though we, 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 we know that God's got one church and we everybody, oh yes, and we have this great unity thing and blah, 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 blah. God's very interested in the local assembly of his body. Something very unique about that. Now, I've been talking about finding Jesus in us, but there is another level of revelation that Jesus manifests himself, and that is collectively us together. I don't understand it, but I know that the Bible says when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That is not just a presence thing. When I was growing up, uh, it was always because we had a small church service. Well, you know, the Bible says we're two or three are gathered together in my name, and there's one, two, three, four. We've got more than three. Amen. We're going to have a good service tonight. Right? That's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. It means there's something that happens when the body of Christ begins to unite in the common purposes of making Jesus known in our hearts and in our communities. We become a city. We become a light that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. We become an expression of God's glory. This is something unique. And let me just give you a couple things, and then we'll, we'll try to finish this up. Is that okay? So number one, understand that the body of Christ is always referred to as the ecclesia, never not. The ecclesia is always the body of Christ. We understand that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, I won't read it, but, but Paul said, I do this for the sake of his body, which is the church, or which is the ecclesia. The community of Christ is the functioning body of Christ in this world. And God is wanting to do something with the ecclesia, with his body. There's a reason. I don't understand all this. I'm not great at anatomy and all this stuff. But I understand that somehow we become the expression of Jesus as his body. This is a deep thing. And I don't know that I'll be able to cover it fully. But I believe it's God's will. And I believe it's always been God's will. This isn't anything new. I believe it's what he's always wanted. Is for us to be individually a fit habitation, inviting him in, and then collectively Jesus working in all of us to be the light in darkness. Let me just deal with this just a little bit more. And I think I think you guys are actually seeing this working right now in your midst. I think the problem is is the church is always declarative. We are declaring these things. There's nothing wrong with being declarative, but I think oftentimes we're trying to define things when God's wanting to illustrate things. Right? The church loves def definition. We have all these definitions and all these things. We've got all our little things. And, and, and okay, that's fine. You have a definition. God's like, I love illustration. I want to illustrate to the world who I am in the midst of my people. What I mean by that is, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. There's this thing about the body of Christ and the way that we deal with each other. I'm not talking about the way that we deal with all Christians. Talking about the way we deal with this ecclesia, this body of believers, the way we care for one another, the way we treat one another, the way we honor one another, the way we lift up one another. I am telling you there is something that happens when the world looks in to peek at the church and all they see is the excellence of the way we conduct ourselves towards one another. 
Our churches are full of backbiting, poking, pushing down, trying to get one over on each other, gossip, you know, telephone, tell a friend, tell a church member. It's the quickest way to spread something. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? I'm only calling you so you'll pray, right? You know, so-and-so's really messing up. You know, I always knew they would. I just always knew they were having a problem. You did, and you did nothing about it? Really? That's not prophetic. That's pathetic. You didn't have insight. You had arrogance. You knew somebody was going to struggle. Maybe God gave you, and I think God does give us insight that people are struggling. But for crying out loud, do something about it. If you knew and you didn't do anything about it, now we're mad at you, not them. You knew they were going to struggle, and now they're struggling, and you knew about it all along and did nothing about it. Now we're going to tar and feather you, not them. There's something about the body of Christ that the world needs to see in us. The expression of God in our midst. I'm not there yet. I, I promise you I'm not. I grew up with a backbiting, gossiping, political nonsense of church. Everybody trying to get, well, how many is your church running? What happened at your church? And we're telling lies to make ourselves look better. Instead of just the body of Christ, loving, compassionate. I, I, I know we talk about this and everybody agrees and everybody says amen. But do you know how hard it is to find? It's almost non-existent. We can't hardly find it anywhere. And you're never going to find it in a church that just wants to get together, sing a few songs, preach a few sermons, and then everybody goes home. There's no connection to the week. There's no concern. There's no compassion. We're not connected at all. We're just in a social club. We might as well just call it the Kiwanis Club. Meet once a week and, find, and have memberships and charge you all a bunch to belong. Then we can get goofy hats and goofy T-shirts, and we can all be the same. That's not what God's called us to. That's not the body of Christ. It's not the body of Christ. We don't come and show off our new duds and how our new cowboy boots look and in our churches how, how much we like our new guns. That's not what we do. That's, yes, it is what we do, but that's not Jesus. It's just who we are, right? Nothing wrong with that. I like your guns. We'll talk about them after church. But I wonder what it would look like if we would really start allowing Christ to manifest himself in us individually and in us as a body where the world sees people who are not letting go of one another, not putting one another down, bearing one another's burdens, making up what's lacking in their lives by ours. This is what Paul said. I'm suffering to make up what's lacking elsewhere in the body. I put it on myself. We're a generation that, oh, never suffer. That can't be God. If you're suffering, it can't be God. If you have to give, that can't be God. God wants you to be rich. Well, maybe God does prosper you for the purpose of helping somebody else out who's not currently prospering. Right? A real body of Christ that is looking out. I'm telling you, I'm learning some new things about evangelicalism. We're so interested, have been told so many times, you've got to go out in the world, preach the gospel. I'm not saying Jesus said go preach, but he said make disciples. You know how easy this becomes if we treat each other in such a way that everybody wants to be a part of what we have? In the first century church, that's actually what the leaders and the rulers were writing. They were angry because they were trying to exercise governmental authority over them and get them to commit to the government. But the church was so radical in its devotion to one another, they couldn't get people to dedicate themselves to their governmental form because the people were so radically committed to their churches because they were finding no lack and finding no need within their own community. I know that seems like a pipe dream, but I'm telling you that is what Jesus has called us to. Where we co-labor together with one another. We bear one another's burdens. I, I have a dream that that, that that exists, but we certainly don't get to see. It's not what I was raised with, Pastor. 
It's not, it's not what I was raised with. But I long for it, and I feel the Spirit of Christ is in that, on that, and wanting to manifest that in our midst. I don't even know what that necessarily looks like, but I can feel it in my heart. I can feel the yearning of Christ saying, this is the community that I've called you to. This, and the reality is that that's probably not a thousand people. <laughs> it's probably not. It's probably a, a group about like us, maybe a little bit bigger than us, that really care for one another, really minister. And, it, you know, community, true community is, is not, it's, it's not always pretty on the inside, but we make it look pretty on the outside, right? This is how it happens in my house, and I'm going to be done, I promise. Somebody's coming over to visit us, and, and my wife Sherry says, we got to clean the house up. We've got to make this thing. We have visitors coming over. Okay, let's pretend like we're clean people. We never are, but when visitors come over, let's make sure they think we are. And, and that's okay. That's okay. But I, I liken that, that to what happens in the church. You know, we conduct our business with one another privately. This is our house. This is Christ's body. And we might be harsh with one another in the terms of trying to spur one another on in Christ. But outside, ain't nothing wrong. This is the best house in town. This is the best. We love each other. Isn't that the way it happens? You start talking trash about my family, we're going to fight. But inside my house, I will talk trash about my brothers, no problem. But don't you talk about my brothers that way, right? That's the way family is. And that's the way the church is. We're going to be radically committed and very transparent to one another, but towards the world, we're taking care of one another. Somebody might be being stupid, and we might tell them they're being stupid, but on the outside, we let the world know we're taking care of them. Those are our people. They're not perfect. They might be messed up from the floor up right now, but we're committed to seeing them through. We're not giving up on them because Christ hasn't given up on them. We're going to love them through. We're going to love them till the end. And, and, and that's the thing that becomes irresistible, right? That's the thing that becomes irresistible. When you can keep messing up and people just keep loving you. It's an interesting thing. The body of Christ, bearing one another's burdens, lifting each other up. We're not actually taught or told. Let me try to wrap this up. We're not actually taught or told (laughs) that that's where we're supposed to find Jesus. But I think that's where he's found. I think he's found in the midst of the people that are committed to him, being made known, in their hearts, being transformed by who he is. And then something happening in our midst that we are committed to seeing him transforming our brothers and sisters in the body that way. Let me wrap it up with a couple of scriptures. It's probably important to find a caboose for this. Ephesians, I said we'd get there. Ephesians 3, 7. Can you just give me just a second? We'll do the old Pentecostal thing. How many will give me five more minutes? Raise your hand. Five, ten, fifteen. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's stupid. Ephesians 3, 7. I, I, I love some of these scriptures. Paul said this in Ephesians 3, 7, I became a servant of the gospel because of the grace that God showed me through the exercise of his power. Paul's talking about his relationship to the church, what Jesus did inside of him. Let me flip over and let's, uh, Ephesians uh, 4, let me get there. There's a, we could just sit and read the whole book of Ephesians, it'd be amazing. Let me see where I want to wrap this up here. Ephesians 4. We're talking about the body of Christ. Listen to what this says. Ephesians 4, 7. God has given his grace to each one of us. Everybody say each one. Each one. Measured out. I love actually the way the Common English Bible brings this. God has given his grace to each one of us. Measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. 
the gift is always given by the measure of Christ, not anything else, right? It's given by the measure of Christ. Christ is measuring out the gift. So each one of us in the body, you have something to contribute to the body. I promise you, you do. You feel like, well, I'm just here. No, 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 no. You have something unique that contributes to the body. And we figure this out. Let me wrap it up with this. Let me get back over. So follow me down. Are you still with me? All right. I know this is probably not the arrow sermon where I whack arrows on the church pews, but this might probably be more important. Um, Ephesians uh, 4.12. Let me get my glasses on so I can see where 12 is. The numbers are getting smaller in my Bible. Somebody said the other day, I think my my wife washed my Bible because it shrunk. Um, The word shrunk. We're familiar with some of these, these scriptures. If 11, if we back up to 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Listen to that. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ. Until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son, God's goal is for, I love this, is to be mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of of Christ. So we're meant to be full. Christ is wanting to fill us and that be the measurement of maturity in the body of Christ. Let me just finish this out. I know I'm just reading, but it's still good. As a result, as a result of that, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Doesn't that connect us right back to Matthew 24? Jesus said, you're not going to find me in those things. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. Here's my favorite part. The whole body grows from him as it is joined. Listen to this. As it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments, the body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does their part. What does that mean? It means that Christ gets inside of us individually and then something happens in the body where we start to build each other up. Let me just put it like this and I'll wrap it up with this. I can truly never fully be who I'm supposed to be without you. I just can't. I know Chris Christopherson used to sing, me and Jesus got our own thing going. But he didn't. Right? It's not just me and Jesus got our own thing. It's not. I, I fully believe this, and I, I'm not going to be able to articulate it the way I want to, but maybe a little guesswork here, but let's see. What if the, the problems that we have and the struggles that some of us are having is because we're not connected enough to each other? I really believe this. I really believe this with all my heart. That sometimes I'm struggling not because Jesus is not enough inside of me, but Jesus has is wanting me to connect with my brothers and sisters in such a way that they will complete what I need in my life. I think Jesus manifested it this way on purpose, that we would always need each other to a certain degree. I think, it, I don't understand everything, but I think that's why some things happen. I think they happen so that we can be what we're supposed to be to one another. We're so quick to look for a Holy Ghost service when I think Jesus is looking for an opportunity for us to pour ourselves into one another. Something beautiful and amazing happens when we become one body. One functioning thing with Christ as the head. 
Acts chapter 2 talks about them not lacking anything. The body, the ecclesia, nothing missing, nothing broken because they had each other. What if real revival, real renewal, real restoration is not a feeling or a fancy or a song or a sermon, but it's us connecting the way we were always supposed to connect with one another, to be committed. That if you're hurting, I'm hurting too. And if you're lacking, I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that you're not lacking, even if it's your own fault that you're lacking. Because I'm not here to judge what you did wrong. I am here to manifest Christ who is in me as much as I can. Because this is the truth. Christ didn't love you because you were perfect. He loved you because he wanted you to be part of his body. I don't understand how that works. But I know. Let me wrap it up with this. I read the scripture. I'm always amazed by the way that God reveals himself. I don't understand it. But I was reading scripture. I was telling Chris this the other day. There's this interesting thing from Genesis all the way to Revelation that God wants to make his habitation somewhere. I, I don't know. You know, I was taught, well, heaven is, his, heaven is his home. He's up there, you know, vibing around up there with mansions. And I've got a mansion inside of his mansion and all of these other things. But it's clear from Scripture that God wants to habitate with his people. So God's manifesting his body as a place for his home. God wants to dwell in us. And then there's this weird other concept of the body of Christ being the bride of Christ. That'll blow your mind too, right? That'll blow your mind where the church becomes the bride of Christ. What is that, what is that revealing to us? Again, there's a completeness to being made one. That's the mystery of marriage. We understand it doesn't make sense to us, but we understand that it's a spiritual thing. In fact, the Bible says marriage is actually not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. God uniting himself to us where we become one body. And so he's looking for a home. We're going to be his home. We're going to be his bride. And then the third thing is he's looking for a body. I'm not saying God doesn't have a body. I don't know if he has a body or not. I think God does whatever he wants. I don't get to tell God who he is, right? People are always doing that. Well, do you think God has a body? I know Jesus had a body. Put nails in his hand, nails his feet, pierced his side, and pretty sure that was a body. Would you still think he has one? I don't, I don't even worry about those things. What I know now is that he wants us to be his body. Right? He wants to dwell in us, and he wants to pour into us. So I think of home, and I think of bride, and, and I think of body. And that leads us to the, to the real, I think, truth of what God's saying is this mystery of the body, the mystery of Christ in us. God's always been and will always be about family. It's always about family. And at the end of it, I think that's what we're supposed to be. The community of Christ is the family of God. That's why he called us sons and daughters. That's why we were adopted in. There's something so unique about the family of God that I think God is trying to get us back to. The new thing is the old thing, right? The thing that it's always been. This is where we find Jesus. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like as we do it, but I know who it looks like when we do it. It looks like Jesus. And I think the world will be able to say, I don't, I don't know about religion, I don't know about, but that group, that, that looks like Jesus. That looks like Jesus. And they're bearing the image of Christ. Amen? So where do we find Jesus? In us and in us. This is where we find the real Jesus. It's where he's always been. It's where he's always wanted to be. And it's where he will always be. Right?
Not the new thing down the road. Not the new revival. Not the new teaching. Always his body. Always what it's always been. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament. Pastor was talking about David this morning. Isn't it weird? David has all these insights to stuff that he shouldn't have had. All the stuff he knows about Jesus long before any of the New Testament's written. Any revelations moving because it's always been the same. Jesus has always been about coming into the heart of mankind and dwelling within the people of God, his people, the ecclesia. Stand to your feet with me. What an opportunity. Would you do something? My challenge for you this week, I always try to give something. This is what I'm trying to do. Would you, would you try to do more than just have a surface relationship with the people around you? Would you open your heart up, not only individually for Christ to come? Let me just wrap it up with this. A couple of things that I feel like the Lord will say, and then we'll, we'll go. What areas in your life do you need to surrender to Christ so he can fully manifest himself in you? What areas need to go? I have some areas that need to go that I know I don't want those things to compete. I don't want to hold on to things that Jesus says don't. I want the fullness of him in my heart and in my life. And that's hard. That's hard. There's some things in my life that don't easily want to go. Some of my opinions, some of my idiosyncrasies. I don't, I don't want them to be there, but man, they sure want to be there. Is there some areas in your life that you could surrender and sacrifice to the Lord? We talked about Romans 12 today, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is, which is our reasonable service. Actually, Greek, it's actually our, our worship. <laughs> That's really what it means to say you surrendering is actually the way we worship God. That's the way we're supposed to worship God, giving all that junk to him. And then that's number one, what areas can you surrender? Not, we're not going to pray over you and do the whole emotional thing. And, oh, yes, you're giving this up. Just do it. Just do it. Just, you know, I tell people this all the time. Well, I just don't know what God's. Yes, you do. The reason you're asking is because you do know and you want somebody else to tell you something different. You know the areas in your life that need to be yielded to Christ. Quit playing games and just give them to him. Well, it'll be hard. Good. Then tell somebody you're struggling with that. Right? That's what the body does. Ah, we don't have time to get into that. Isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame that in the body of Christ we can't be real with one another? What a difference it would make. What things could have been avoided in my life had I been open enough to know that I had brothers in the Lord that I could say, I'm struggling I'm questioning things, and I don't know why. But I can tell you that didn't exist. Dare we say a word? Will they pull our papers and shame us for our struggles? Can I tell you the body of Christ is not a place of shame. It is a place of support. And if you're struggling to surrender something, find somebody. This is a great body. Find some, And if somebody finds you, keep your mouth shut. Love them and lift them up in prayer. And then the second challenge is, oh, surrender whatever you need to, and then help somebody else. Look for somebody that you know, and don't be superficial. Help them. Don't preach to them. Help them. Maybe you need to preach to them. I don't know. So often, I'm a preacher, so I always want to preach to people. I'd rather preach than help. Um, A guy told me the other day, not out loud, uh, I, I, I called somebody up and I said, you know, I really feel like this is what the Lord's saying. And they said, that's great, I know that, but I also need help in this area. And man, I got so convicted. I, I was willing to talk, but not willing to reach. Because I'm good at talking. Not always good at reaching. So we, we tried to correct that. We tried to repent and, and 
not just do what was easy, but do what we were called to do. Let's not be superficial. Let's, let's build up the body of Christ so we're strong and mighty in him. Amen? Amen. Can we pray together and then, Pastor? Jesus, we love you. We are so excited about your glory being manifested in our midst as the body of Christ, the ecclesia of God, uniquely equipped God. I don't even know what that looks like, God, but we're so hungry to see the, man, the true manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God on this earth, being the image bearers of Christ Jesus. Lord, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid, a life that is in the darkness. Lord, hope for the hurting, life for those that are dying. God, help for those that are hurting. God, hope for a hopeless world to point to the love of Jesus Christ that can eternally transform our hearts. And make yourself known, Lord, to this world we live in. Help us with that. God, lift us up. Connect us the way we need to be connected. Show us what we need to do, Lord, to see this happen. And we give you praise and glory for it. In your name, Jesus, amen and amen. Pastor.